0: In February of 1865, one magistrate and surgeon in Leeds received some rather odd things. Delivered to his address were over a hundred not-so-pleasantly-written valentines, addressed to not his proper name, but to someone else. Henry Chorley, the man in question, had made quite a name for himself over the past month, and that name was the Dripping Doctor. My name is Caitlin Badger, and this is Northern, a podcast exploring the history, stories, landscapes, and people of the north of England, in an attempt to discover and share what it means to be Northern. Firstly, some context here What's dripping? Dripping is simply put, the drips of fat that come off of meat when it's cooked. And it was a very important product in the 19th century, especially in the North. In fact, some of the foods that are seen as Northern rely on dripping. It's really simple. Um, So if I ask you what Northern food is, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Yorkshire puddings. Yorkshire puddings, yeah. Sunday dinner with Yorkshire pudding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Yeah, yeah, same? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roast beef, Yorkshire pudding, Traditional. Traditional. Yeah. If you aren't familiar with Yorkshire puddings, they're a simple batter and traditionally were cooked underneath the meat in the oven so that the dripping would flavour an otherwise quite bland and simple food. They're an expected part of every Sunday roast today but nowadays they're cooked in circular muffin tins so everyone can have a few on their plate and fill them up with gravy, another food made from dripping. Puddings, New Yorkshire puddings, were an essential part of a working-class diet in the North. In fact, one historian says that it was sometimes a main food for the children, though it's worth noting that not all puddings are made from dripping. It's with this in mind that we step back to February 4th, 1865, a month before our dripping doctor received his rude Valentine's post. February 4th. In the February 4th edition of Leeds Times, there were two letters concerning Henry Chorley and his cook, Eliza Strafford. These two letters written to the editor of the Times took up the majority of the three-letter correspondence section. The first letter, a very short one, entitled A Doctor, His Cook, and His Dripping, starts like this. Will you allow me a space for a few remarks upon a most painful ease of petty theft, and unmerciful punishment that has recently occurred? This was the start of the story that would captivate the people of Leeds over the next month. And the language here really sets the tone for the way people reacted. Mr. Chorley, surgeon, has sent his cook, Mrs. Strafford, mistakenly written as Stafford here, to Armley Jail for one month for stealing, which all cooks in a gentleman's house consider a perquisite, what we call a perk today, one or two pounds of dripping, say two, and the value would be tuppence. This woman's heinous offense, sense that irony, was tried privately by two brother magistrates. This writer wasn't wrong in saying that all cooks in gentlemen's houses considered the dripping a perk. Up and down the country, it was very common for the cooks to take the dripping. It was a leftover resource that wouldn't have really been served on the table of the rich. So Eliza Strafford, the cook for Henry Chorley, has been imprisoned for a month because of taking some dripping. And it's debated whether she sold it off or she gave it away to a dressmaker. It's pretty clear this writer is infuriated by the magistrate's actions, that he sees Eliza as the victim and the brother magistrates as men taking advantage of their positions. Just below it sits another much longer piece entitled, All the Fat in the Fire, the Doctor and His Cook. This one starts, For many years, you have persistently and earnestly advocated the appointment of a stipendary magistrate for Leeds and any person who is in the habit of attending the town hall. This correspondent believes there is a problem with the magistrate system and that this is evidence of it. That the magistrates can bring the accused to the courthouse for a really silly crime and their brother magistrates can just pass it. It goes on in his words, But why, in the name of common sense, did he so far forgot himself as to have the woman committed on so paltry an accusation? Mr. Chorley must learn to moderate his temper. He then carries on with more intensity. I hope that some representation of the facts of this shameful case will be made to the Secretary of State for the Home Department, and that a spirited effort will be inaugurated to release the woman from prison at once. The Leeds Times, where these letters firstly come from, is described by the British Newspaper Archive as a radical paper aimed predominantly at the middle classes. This was one of the three popular newspapers in Leeds at the time. The other two were the Leeds Mercury, described as a leading reporter of liberal politics, and the Leeds Intelligencer, described as the leading Tory organ in Yorkshire, so a conservative paper. February 18th. By this point, newspapers up and down the country were reporting on a strange scene at Leeds, or Mr. Chorley and the dripping business. This was a captivating story. Who knew dripping could cause such a scene? There is a considerable difference between popularity and notoriety, started the article in the Leeds Times that day. And this was a bird. Chorley may have been notable, but he surely wasn't popular at this point in many circles. It goes on. It would be idle to dispute that during the past month, Mrs. Strafford, late cook to Mr. Chorley, has been canonized as a martyr. What was initially about two pounds of dripping fat was quickly becoming a social commentary on the rich versus the working class of Leeds. One may have more notoriety that may not be a good thing it goes on to appropriate pitch fat may be a serious offense in the eyes of some gentlemen but it is not so considered in ordinary life yeah again there's a pretty clear distinction here being made between ordinary people and the genteel and the latter is not being looked on well The article goes on to tell us that the public feeling on this topic has been intense and then diverges for a moment, mentioning that most people don't know the extent of the problem here, that really, again, it's an issue with magistrates or what they call the great unpaid. And it means that these men are often giving unfair sentences based on their whims and feelings on any given day of the week. In Leeds at the time, the majority of the population were undernourished, underpaid, and were working intensely long hours in the factories of this booming textile city. It was a hard blow to the people that there were those who had power and could use it over something so small, something that seemed so unjust to them. Dripping didn't mean much in the house of the wealthy, but it meant so much in the ordinary lives of the working people. Eliza was meant to be getting released later that week and it was reported that there would be a popular demonstration as well as a carriage for her and a procession of friends and a band. It was also noted that around 70 pounds was raised for Eliza and the rumor was that the purpose of the money was for her to open a beer house called The Dripping Pan. A hard blow to the doctor. Though maybe not as hard of a blow as a weekly satirical paper in London ridiculing Mr. Chorley and its pages. February 25th. Dripping disturbances in Leeds, the military called out. That was the title of the article in the paper on that day, and it was sitting near an article on heavy losses in a civil war battle in Richmond, Virginia. This was a big story. On the Saturday before this paper was published, a large crowd of people, as reported Wood, did show up at Armley Jail to celebrate Eliza being released. Thousands of people showed up, people who felt that Eliza had been done wrong by by a brotherhood of powerful magistrates, instead of fairly imprisoned, and they wanted to show their support. People were lined up and down the streets in Armley, and large crowds were waiting around Wellington Bridge, the bridge that crosses over the River Eyre, the main river which runs through the center of Leeds. People were waiting to see Eliza ride off in her carriage, and they were singing what the paper reported as verses about the dripping. As the afternoon went on, it became clear Eliza wasn't coming out. The crowd had the wrong day. Eliza wasn't being released until Wednesday, a full calendar month and not a lunar month as people had thought from the day she went in. That must have been pretty awful for all those people, getting their energies high, waiting for hours, exciting themselves with rhymes and songs. Some disappointed crowd members headed to Park Square, the home of Mr. Chorley, our dripping doctor. And Mr. Chorley, apparently pretty brazen, came out of his front door to face the crowds head on. He vocalized that Eliza deserved the imprisonment. As people yelled and shouted at him, he even went so far as to say, Eliza deserved another month of prison, two instead of one. Eventually, after a bit of snowballing, a word we really don't use enough of anymore, and yelling, Mr. Chorley went back inside, but not without lighting up his front windows and watching the crowd from within, which apparently was quite the snub. The people had had enough. They moved on. No harm was done. Eliza would be released on a different day. They'd come back. Just a bit of frustration released in Park Square. It was 6 p.m. on the Saturday. According to the Leeds Intelligencer, Mr. Chorley had written a letter to be published in their paper defending his position. But his colleagues decided it probably wasn't a good idea for him to have it published. If only we knew what was in that letter. The Intelligencer also stated that while Eliza was imprisoned for the dripping, Mr. and Mrs. Chorley had two or three more grievances, which they withdrew when the charge over the dripping occurred. But none of that really mattered now. This story had its own life. Chorley's dripping could be found graffitied around town. When Wednesday rolled around, more people turned out. Reportedly, around 10,000 people were in Armley from around 9 a.m. While waiting, part of the crowd broke into the prison yard and the chief constable, Mr. Bell, had to regain control, as well as pass on some unfortunate news to the crowds. Eliza had been released earlier that morning, hours before, and had already left to go to her sister's. It's debated whether that was in Wakefield, as the Leeds Times reported, or in Scarborough, known as the Queen of Watering Places, as the Leeds Intelligencer reported. Whichever place she went to, Eliza was gone. 10,000 people were left in Armley. Once again, energy pumping, emotions high. Much of the crowd didn't believe the constable at first and began throwing stones, sticks, snowballs, and any other thing they could get a hold of. Mr. Bell did get hit, but wasn't seriously injured. But it was only 9 a.m., and things were definitely heating up. A large amount of people carried on to the beer house The Oak Inn, and as the paper puts it, The consumption of beer at this small public must have been something immense. Now, I think we all know that large angry crowds and lots of alcohol isn't really an ideal combination. But that was where they were at. People were out in the streets in what must have been awful weather because, let's face it, it was February in the north of England. And they were throwing pots, pans, kettles, and branches out dredging in slushy frozen streets. One man then came out dressed in women's clothing and the people around him made loud claims that this was Eliza. Swept up in the excitement and pretty much pissed at this point, the crowds played along and chased him through the streets. Around dinner time, which, if you listen to the T vs. Dinner episode, you'll know that dinner time is around noon, people gathered in Park Square once again, including people who were on their dinner breaks at work and wanted to show their support while they could. This time, Mr. Chorley stayed inside, and apparently, the police just let people get their frustrations out by avoiding the objects that were being thrown at them. They kept their calm. But eventually, it was too much, and the police were asked to move the hordes of people out of the square. They moved them not far from Park Square into the massive square in front of the town hall building, the huge swarms of people that were presumably already pretty unsettling continued to grow and became too much for the city to just let go wild. At 2 p.m., the mayor declared that people had to disperse or they would be subject to possible arrests. And the thing is, the crowds were so big that they also had to call for help from Bradford nearby. And as if that wasn't enough amazingly, they had to call to York for a military force. A large group of people cleared out. Maybe the threat was enough. Maybe they were just exhausted. Maybe they were hungover at this point or their dinner breaks were over, but a lot of people left. Of course, there were those that hung around and the destruction of property and the square around Mr. Chorley's home continued throughout the evening and night. People even attempted to get into the back of his house, but were stopped by the police. It was a full-blown riot. At 7pm, there were still 1,500 people in front of Town Hall. There were injuries to some of the police, and one man, a local potter, was trampled in a rush of people. The police were eventually allowed to use force to clear the square. The army that was called in stood as backup and was not needed in the end. This was the Leeds dripping riot. It was a pretty standard riot. A bit of throwing, a bit of smashing, a bit of chanting, some breaking into a prison yard, and a little bit of backup from the army. But the cause of it must have been one of the oddest. That two pounds of dripping could do all that. It goes to show that just about anything can change history. Maybe it's best remembered in this verse sung on the streets. Not at month the army jail is passed, and she comes out again at last. While through each road and lane and street, the public this poor servant meet, and show their love or truth and right. Again, this word be man of might, dripping, dripping. No percuses, no tipping. It's worth noting that the Yorkshire Intelligencer viewed all of this a bit differently, describing the gentleman who unfortunately had taken this woman into his household, one of the borough magistrates and a gentleman of standing in the medical profession. They believed that it was unfair and unfounded that Mr. Chorley would be painted in such a bad way. Throughout all of this reporting, I couldn't find anything about what Eliza thought of this all. Only that while she was offered a defense to have a proper trial, she actually asked to just go directly in front of the mayor and magistrates on the basis of the facts. Did she do that because she thought it wouldn't be taken seriously? She did claim that she honestly thought it was okay to take the dripping. It seems like the story was less controlled by Eliza, the main player, but instead by mobs of people who took up the issue as a marker for the plight of the people. They were the people for who two pounds of dripping meant having food to feed their children. And on the other side of this were the people who sat and decided the fate of others. There were the dripping people and the dripping doctors. And neither understood each other. Whichever newspaper you read, the facts are the same. It's just some see Eliza as being hard done by and others see Henry Chorley as perfectly in his right to send her to jail it wasn't expressly stated that she could take the dripping. Whichever person you choose to be in the wrong or right here, it's very clear that to have a riot over dripping could only happen somewhere where dripping was viewed as a value. If this story proves anything, it absurdly proves that dripping was important in the North. Not many people talk about the Leeds dripping riot today. But Mr. Chorley forever lives on as the dripping doctor, glorified in this rhyme from the day of the riot. Oh, if I was the doctor, I would let them see. I'd take an example from Victor Townley. If ever I dealt on such justice again, I'd jump from my seat and fracture my brain. Yeah, I know, it's not very nice. Northern Podcast is written, edited, and produced by me, Caitlin Badger. Special thanks for this episode go out to Callum Badger. If you would like to support Northern, please leave a review on iTunes. And if you're interested in finding out more, check out the website at northernpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening as always, and I will see you in the next one. Armley Jail. I can't now.